Let us worship God by singing to his praise in Psalm 85. Psalm 85. O Lord, thou hast been favorable to thy beloved land. Jacob's captivity thou hast recalled with mighty hand. Thou pardoned thy people hast all their iniquities. Thou all their trespasses and sins hast covered from thine eyes. Thou tookst off all thine ire and turns from thy wrath's furiousness. Turn as God of our health and cause thy wrath against us to cease. Shall thy displeasure thus endure against us without end? Will thou to generations all thine anger forth extend? That in thee may thy people joy. Will thou not as revive? Show us thy mercy, Lord, to us. Do thy salvation give. These verses in Psalm 85. The O Lord, thou hast been favorable to thy beloved land. O Lord, thou hast been favorable to thy beloved land. Oh, 
continued singing to God's praise in Psalm 85. Psalm 85. And from verse 8. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk he'll speak peace. And to his saints, but let them not return to foolishness. To them that fear him surely near is his salvation, that glory in our land may have her habitation. Truth met with mercy, righteousness and peace kissed mutually. Truth springs from earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven high. Yea, what is good the Lord shall give, our land shall yield increase. Justice to set us in his steps shall go before his face. Psalm 85 from verse 8 to the end of the psalm. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak to his folk. He'll speak peace. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak to his folk. He'll speak peace. chapter 9 the book of Job and chapter 9 
chapter 9. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away, and who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers, to stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him, and choose out my words to reason with him, whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I had called, and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. For he breaketh me with a tempest, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, Yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. This one thing therefore, I said it, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay it suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked, he covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away, they see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water, and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us, that I might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak, and not fear him. 
but it is not so with me. And may God grant his blessing on our reading of his word. We may continue singing to God's praise in Psalm 79. Psalm 79. And from verse 9. Psalm 79 and from verse 9. For thy name's glory help us, Lord, who hast our Saviour been. Deliver us for thy name's sake, O purge away our sin. Why say the heathen, where's their God? Let him to them be known, when those who shed thy servant's blood are in our sight o'erthrown. O let the prisoner's sighs ascend before thy sight on high. Preserve those in thy mighty power that are designed to die, and to our neighbor's bosom cause its sevenfold rendered be. Even the reproach wherewith they have, O Lord, reproached thee. So we thy folk and pasture sheep shall give thee thanks always, and unto generations all we will show forth thy praise. These verses in Psalm 79, from verse 9 to the end, for thy name's glory, help us, Lord. For thy name's glory, help us, Lord, who hast our Savior been. Thank you. 
again to the book of Job and chapter 9. And we may read from verse 29. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysment betwixt us that might lay his hand upon both of us, upon us both. Let him take away his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. <clears throat> and especially the words we have from verse 31 to verse 33. that uh, Job at this time he was called a perfect and upright man at the beginning of this book a man that feared God a man that eschewed evil and uh, now we find this good man undergoing many trials it's as though God hedged him up as though God took away all his earthly comforts and left with only one thing, and that is the need of the daysman, the need of this person, this mediator. Now we know that many people, and we all sometimes puzzle over the book of Job, but uh, I think the book of Job vindicates God's works of providence and his dealings with his people. Even when he's dealing and with his own people in a way of chastisement. Because Job at this time, though he was a good man, he felt he didn't see any reason or any cause why God should deal with him this way, that God should be so severe with him. And yet all the time, God has reason to be severe with every person. We are all completely polluted. We are all filthy in the sight of God. And because of that, God would be just no matter how he deals with anyone. And Job was going to learn this lesson. And we see that even in this good man, we see when he was put into the melting pot, into the firing pot, we see the scum beginning to come to the surface. It tells us that the very best of men, it doesn't matter who we are in this world or who they are in the world, that the very man that is very best is still man in this world. We, we, Job's mentioned as one of the great men in, in the Bible because in the book of Ezekiel, when God was saying to Ezekiel that he was going to destroy these people, he said that even if Noah and Daniel and Job was before me, he would still do it. Even if he had these three great men before him, he would still do it. And so Job is counted as one of the great men in the, in the word of God in the scriptures. And we see that it tells us that he made a mistake here. He mistook what God was doing. He thought 
God's chastisement that God was condemning him when all the time God was trying him God was proving him he mistook it all he made a mistake in this matter and he felt that he, God was he, he, acting towards him as though he was a condemned man but yet we see in the midst of all this the, the greatness of Job he wasn't the way some people would be and the way perhaps we would be. We would perhaps smother all this and keep it all in and or else vent it out and complain to someone else, to other people. But Job shows us his spirit of adoption. He shows us that he came to God with his complaint. He came to God with his complaint and he prayed to God about it. This is a spirit of adoption. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and grace to help for every time of need. He went past men and he went to his God. He wasn't complaining against God. He was complaining to God. Complaining to God. And we see the great character of Job coming out also. And it's remarkable that when Job is mentioned again in the New Testament that uh, he's praised by the Holy Spirit in the epistle to James, of James. We don't find any mention of his faults. We find the Lord praising this man. We, we read, you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And what James was saying there was in the midst of trial, Remember that the end of it all for his people is a good end. And when we read the book of Job, we believe that Job could have turned down with the psalmist and said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Well, here we have Job, and he was certainly no hypocrite, not the way they were accusing him. Job was earnest and serious in his life and he was earnest about his relationship towards God. And it shows us that God can sometimes even touch his own people with his finger. They may be enjoying prosperity. They may be enjoying health. They may be enjoying wealth or anything else in the world, honor in the world. But he has, sometimes touches them with his finger. Sometimes a gleam from God's countenance reveals to them their own corruption in a way perhaps they had only seen before dimly. But God can deal with us in his own way in his providence and yet all things work together for good to them that love God and the word of God tells us that. It certainly wasn't easy for Job. He was a human being he felt it. He wasn't a stoic. He complained about it. He felt the pain. He felt the hurt. And he came to God with it. And he brought it all before God. Now we see one of the things that comes out in Job's complaint is the, what he finds in himself. He found, as we find in verse 20, he said, If I justify myself, mine own mouth, shall condemn me. If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. Well, he felt 
this self-righteousness coming to the surface as though he was going to come to God and try to justify himself. Well, it's strange when we read the scriptures that man before he fell was righteous before God. And before man fell, he, he never boasted of his righteousness. He never gloried in his own righteousness. But once man fell, it was then that man began to pre pretend he had a righteousness before God. Then man began to pretend he had a righteousness with before God. And we see it in Adam and Eve. When God came out to meet Adam, Adam tried to, to, to cover, to screen his own guilt by, bringing, to ju by justifying himself. He tried to say it was Eve that caused it, or even God himself that caused it, that he couldn't help what happened to him. We find even at the very beginning, our first parent trying to justify himself, putting on a fig leaf of self-righteousness, which couldn't stand before God, which couldn't stand before him. And just as it was with our first parents, just as it was with our first parents, we are born. We are born in this world with this sin in us, self-righteousness. The child growing up will try to justify himself or herself. We all, we have it, all, each one of us, we have it in us, this self-righteousness, trying to justify ourselves before God, trying to screen our guilt when we're guilty before God. It's a sin which has a great vitality. Perhaps it's the, the, the deepest sin in our nature. It is so deep it's become like the, the skin of the Ethiopian or like the spots of the leopard. It has become part of our constitution, trying to justify ourselves before God. Well, Job felt this, even this good man felt it rising in him, the risings of this in his soul, in his heart, in his soul. And people could perhaps, it's easier to master other sins than this sin. It's easier to master perhaps the lusts of the flesh, easier to master the anger and the fierceness of our passions than it is to master the proud, boastful spirit that rises up within us. This proud spirit which rises within us, trying to justify ourselves before God. We don't like the this fact that we're guilty, utterly guilty before God. Now we see that the, in the believer, those who have come to Christ, self-righteousness has been broken. Self-righteousness has been broken, but yet even in, in the believer, the, the remnant is there. And it's always trying to rise in the believer. And Job felt it here. He said, if I would try to justify myself, my own mouth would condemn me. If I felt this, that I was going to try to justify myself before God, I was condemning myself. Well, Martin Luther used to preach a lot about self-righteousness. I think almost every sermon he had, he was firing away at the self-righteousness in men and women. He was always trying to shoot it down, shooting at it, firing at it all the time. But yet Martin Luther had to confess that self-righteousness was so strong in people 
There was all his preaching against self-righteousness. He met people in his congregation who were convinced that they were going to get to heaven because of their own merits, who thought the road to heaven was paved with their own merits, and that was the way they were going to get to heaven. I read of a minister who was, all, was in despair almost with a certain man in this matter when he was questioning him about the way of salvation. And he had spoken to the man again and again and again about his own self-righteousness. There was no way into heaven by our own righteousness. And when he spoke to the man this day, he said to him, how, how do you think you'll get to heaven? How do you think God will accept you? And the man thought for a while and he said, he was a, a, quite a simple man. But he said, I can, do not think, minister, if I went and lay down under a hawthorn bush in, bush in a frosty night, it would help me in some way to get to heaven. As though some kind of suffering, some kind of penance, something like that would get people to heaven. Well, self-righteousness is behind it. Self-righteousness. And the Word of God tells us that in the sight of God, self-righteousness is like filthy rags. Filthy rags in His presence. Now, we see that <clears throat> the Roman Catholic Church teaches this to a great extent. That uh, we can do penance, do many good works, and earn merit. Indeed, I read about a tomb over in Cork there in the, the, by, by a certain man there. I think his name was Edward Malloy. And on that tomb there are strange words written on it. It says this man was a wealthy man and he was helping the poor always. And written on the tomb it said that he used his worldly wealth to, to buy, to purchase treasure for himself in heaven. It said that he, he, he had a balance of merit in the book of life and that heaven owed him a debt. Heaven was a debtor of mercy to him. As though this man had earned merit in this world before God for other people. Now that's written in a tomb and it's, it's in the Roman Catholic Church. But we don't have to go to the Catholics for this. With all that's pre preached and taught about self-righteousness, there are still people who think that they will get to heaven because of what they're doing, because of something good in themselves, because of some merit in themselves. Well, the Word of God takes all that away. The Word of God sweeps it away and tells us you can go to church all your life. You can pay the sustentation fund. You can be praying. You can read your Bible. You can do all these things which are good in themselves. But it won't get you to heaven. It won't get you to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. And that's through the merit of the finished work of Christ. It's the only way to heaven. And uh, we see then that, <clears throat> that there are this self-righteousness comes out in many different ways. It was said of uh, Lord Nelson when he was dying, when the minister came to see him, he said to the minister, Minister, they tell me that I'm dying. I'm going to meet my God. And I don't feel that I've committed any real sin, any great sin before God. Well, that shows us that a person, a person like that was, was never taught by the Holy Spirit. 
Because this is one of the things which the Spirit does to us. He takes the veil away from our heart. He takes the mask of sin and he shows us that we are guilty before God and that we can offer no excuse to God. No excuse to God. We can't say the way some people say, I'm just as good as other people. If we say that before God, what are we saying? Are we, if other people get to heaven, I should get to heaven. But the word of God doesn't say that other people will get to heaven. The word of God says all people are sinners. All have sinned against God. There are maybe some people who say, I'm not really a great sinner. A few spots in my life, just like sun spots in the sun, but the rest of my life hasn't been too bad. There are people who say that. But the moment we say that we have not sinned, we commit a sin against God. We contradict our God. We contradict God when we say we have no sin. So here we have self-righteousness. And Job felt the uprisings of it in his heart. The believers all feel this in their own hearts. Now and again we, we try to justify ourselves. Try to justify ourselves before God. Try to make God look on us with favor for, some, for doing something special. But let us remember that we are all, all our righteousnesses, the best things we have, they're like filthy rags in the presence of God. Filthy rags in his presence. Uh, a man may be saved with much infirmity. And indeed, because of his infirmity, his whole life may be battered with mire. But if that man's going to be saved, there's one thing he's going to know, that he, that he was in the mire, that he was a guilty sinner. Whatever happens, he may backslide and many other things. But all the people who go to heaven, they are people who have been convinced that they were guilty, that they needed salvation, that they needed Christ, that they needed Christ as their Savior. Well, Job, when he felt this, he, he now speaks of his defilement. And he says, If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Well, Job was troubled with what he felt of his own defilement. And you know that we, we have to know that we're corrupt. We must be convinced that our nature is corrupt. And God must open the eyes, our spiritual eyes, to show us that we are corrupt, and that we need Christ. Otherwise, people will carry on quite contentedly, doing just what they've always been doing, happy enough on the way to eternity, and yet never truly seeking Christ. Sin is such an invidious thing that a person can even think they're getting better when all the time they're on the way to a lost eternity. What a terrible disease it is if a man thinks he's getting better all the time and they're just drawing near to the, to the grave. It's been known that people were that way and perhaps we've seen people like that. It's been obvious that their lives have been ebbing away, waning, and all the time they're speaking about what they're going to do next year, 
what they're going to do in the future. And they're so near to the grave, so near to the grave. Well, that's what sin can do to us. It can blind us that way. It can make us think that we're getting better and better every week, Sabbath after Sabbath, because of the things that we're doing. And that means that we don't feel we need Christ. It means we don't feel our need of the Savior. But it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. This is a great need of every soul, that we have this daysman, that we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Well, we see that uh, today, in our generation, we don't hear much of conviction of sin nowadays. Oh, perhaps we hear things of people turning to Christ, but there's one thing they must be convicted. They must be convinced that they're guilty and they need Christ. In our day, it's a day of the television, the radio, and all plenty about politics, plenty about wealth, plenty about amusements, about film stars, songs, and everything else. But how little we hear about sin, about eternity, about the holiness of God, about the righteousness of God. That's the age we live in. And it's strange that people are hardening, even in our age, even in the face of death. We can find people who go to funerals, and they're, they're laughing, they're joking with each other. And it, you'd think it was a party sometimes. It shows that they don't even think of what it means to go into eternity. What it means to go into eternity. And my friend, tonight, have you even spent ten minutes thinking of your eternity? Have you spent ten minutes thinking of your eternity? We can spend hours thinking of our work. We can spend hours thinking of our income tax. We can spend days thinking of our work and all these other things. But what about the great eternity that is before us? The great eternity before us. People make out their, their will. They make out a will for this fading world. They write it out for the things of the world to leave it to people. And yet they never think of where they are going. They never think of where they are going. There was a man, when we were down in Campbellton, there, who was quite wealthy, but his two sons were uh, foolish and drinking a lot. And because of this, he was worried that when he died, they wouldn't raise a tombstone over his grave. So this man, when we were there, he had a tombstone cut out for himself, a beautiful tombstone with his name written on it and everything on it. The only thing that was missing was the date. That's all. But yet he had no thought of eternity, no thought of what was ahead of him, no word of what was he was going to meet with when he left this world. That shows us what sin has done to man. It shows us how blind we are because of sin, how we, 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 we become senseless, insensible to these things because of sin. But anyway, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes. We can't explain the work of the Spirit. It's a mysterious work. He may work with one person in his experience in a different way to which, that which he works in another person. But there's one thing he does. He opens our eyes 
in this way and he convinces every one of his people that they are guilty sinners in need of salvation in need of salvation indeed when a believer looks back to his old life it's with a kind of there's a kind of vacant look we have when we look at it we can't understand the way we were during these days when we were so careless about eternity when we never thought of God when we were quite happy going on we thought with some merit or something else we can't understand even how we thought in these days but when the Holy Spirit awakens people it is different now we have seen this in our own experience perhaps people who have been in their lives quite uh, moral and who who had a great opinion of themselves who thought that God was bound, bound to look at them with favor but yet suddenly they have been changed suddenly they're crying out they're guilty sinners suddenly they're crying out for mercy seeking the Lord with all their heart it's a work of the Holy Spirit and when we read the scriptures you'll find that the holier the person the, the more godly the person the more aware they were of their corruption and their sin like the Apostle Paul when he said O wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death or Isaiah woe is me for I am undone I'm a man of unclean lips well here we have Job and he's speaking of his defilement but now he's turning to his only hope his only hope and that is the daysman the man who could stand between the person who could stand between God and himself he's acknowledging here his great need of a daysman his great need of a daysman of a arbitrator and it, it's uh, brought home to, to Job that sin is more than just a disease it's a rebellion against God it's more than just a little stain in our lives it's a defilement before God people have a small view a light view of sin but it's so great so awful that it has left a great distance between God and man a great distance between the Almighty the holy and the glorious God and the creature who has sinned and rebelled against him a great distance Job was aware of this and the Holy Spirit God was bringing this to the surface it was like a photograph being developed or like a surgeon bringing the, the disease to the surface he says I'm defiled what can I do now he knew there was a great quarrel between God and himself a great quarrel between God and him and he felt that as long as the sin and the defilement was there that quarrel must remain as long as our sin is with us we must be at enmity with God at enmity with God and here we see him saying if I wash if I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and my own clothes shall pour me he's speaking of human effort here if I would go he said up to the mountains where the snow was there the unsullied whiteness of the snow and get the purest water of all and wash myself in that water yet in God's sight I'd be like a man who was plunged in a ditch 
and all my clothes would be filthy before God. All my clothes would be filthy before God. Now, it speaks of effort here, trying to clean himself. And there are people who do this. They're trying to clean themselves. And we may be like Job and what Job spoke of here. It may be that we're trying to clean ourselves before God by what we're doing, what we're giving. Surely we're going to catch God's eye by how good we are. Surely we're going to catch the eye of the Almighty when he sees how we behave ourselves and what we're doing before him. Well, Job was saying, if we did, had all these efforts, all these things, yet in the sight of God, we'd be like one who'd been plunged into the ditch and it was filthy in his sight with all our efforts, all that we would ever do. And we could do penance. We could go like into a cell for the rest of our lives. We could weep forever. We could do all these things, but we can't wash our pollution away. We cannot do it. We can't do it. So our only hope, the only hope of any sinner, must be outside of himself. It must be another person. It must be this daysman of whom God, Job speaks. And it's obvious that Job, by faith, knew this daysman. We read of Job in another place saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know he lives, my Redeemer, my Goel, my Redeemer. I know he lives. And Job, by faith, was looking at the types, the shadows, and the promises which God had given. The promise, very first promise he had given. And there was Christ in the promises. There was the day's man in the promises. There was only one way to be right with God. How can I be just with God, he said. Not how can I justify myself. It's a forensic statement. It's a thing that belongs to the courts. How could I be cleared at the court before God? There's only one way. And that is that this day's man would take my case. That it would be one between God and myself. And he mentions this day's man that he needed. One betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. That might lay his hand upon us both. Now, the word day's man, I was trying to find out what it meant. And it's very difficult to know exactly what is meant by daysman? This actual word, though in the Hebrew, the word is easily easy enough put, but in the English translation, it put daysman. And uh, I think it means an arbitrator or someone who at an appointed day was going to settle the accounts. Someone on a day appointed was going to settle all the accounts and bring both parties together. It mentions the day. It mentions the time. Well, when we read these words, it brings us to the great daysman, the one appointed from all eternity, the one who was to come into the world to bring reconciliation and peace between God and guilty sinners. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The, the New Testament echoes Job's cry when the apostle says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man 
Christ Jesus, the day's man, the one who could put his hand on both parties, a restraining hand on both parties, and reconcile both parties, bring both parties together, make them friends again. There's only one person who could do it. Well, when Jehovah, our great God, when he appointed his own son as a daysman, he knew that no one else could do it. Because to be a daysman, to be the right daysman, the, the person would have to, he couldn't be, a, a, he couldn't be God a, alone. He couldn't be man alone. He couldn't be just one or the other. It couldn't be a daysman between a beggar and a king. It wouldn't do that that daysman would be a king or even that he would be a beggar. We, want some, we wanted someone in between who could put a hand on both parties. And here was the, was the only one who could do it. Angels couldn't do it. The highest angel couldn't do it. When Jehovah Witnesses come to our door and say, we believe in Jesus, that he's, he's, he's a created God, a super angel, that he died for your sins, he's your saviour. That kind of daysman's too small for us. He can't put both hands on, uh, hands on both parties. He can't put one hand on the deity and the other hand on human humanity. Only one person could do it. And that was God the Son taking human nature. The God-man. He was God and he was man at the same time. And he was appointed by the Father. He was appointed by God to be the great daysman, to bring both parties together, to reconcile, bring reconciliation in this quarrel. The only daysman between God and men the man Christ Jesus. Well, here we have the mediator, the only mediator between God and men. And we see that this mediator, he had to undertake to take every obstacle away. He had to undertake to, take, to satisfy justice completely. He had to undertake to, to honor God in doing this. And when we read of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he honored the law, how he honored the Father when he came into this world, and he satisfied justice, and he stood as a surety of all his people on their behalf. Oh, he took their sins from off their shoulders, and he took it onto his own shoulders, their guilt. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the iniquity of us all. And he took it there to the cross of Calvary. And there as we were singing in the psalm, we read these words. Mercy and truth met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. What, what a reconciliation Christ has made. What a peace he has brought between God and his people. This is the great daysman, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only daysman between God and men. Now, here we have, uh, it mentions the man, Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Why does it put stress on the man, Christ Jesus? There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, because it's like God stretching out his hand in pity 
and in kindness to his people and is bringing before us how near the mediator is to us that he took our human nature that is one of us that he took our human nature yet without sin that we can easily approach him we can approach him and through him be reconciled to the father one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus the man Christ Jesus well we see that this is the one job yearned for the only mediator and there are certain things that are essential for a daysman uh, for a mediator that is that is going to be accepted by both parties going to be accepted by both parties well God the Father has accepted him God has accepted the mediator the mediation of Christ Christ could say I and the Father are one he's very God of very God God manifest in the flesh and the Father has accepted him the Father accepted his mediation and the, the thing is he, he took a human nature also and he was tempted and suffered and he died in the room and place of his people but the other side of it is this that we accept him as our daysman that we put our case our all our eternity our guilt everything we have time and eternity into his hands into his hands he's the only mediator between God and men Job knew he needed him and my friend here tonight if there's one thing that we need above everything else above the world above your loved ones above everything it's a mediator the mediator as your own mediator to be your own mediator now again this person must be a fit person one who's accepted by God and one who's acceptable to us well he's certainly acceptable to any guilty sinner who is such a sufficient saviour as Christ who could who is like him when he said him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out and is acceptable to the father this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased my beloved son in whom I am well pleased now again a mediator one who's going to be a daysman and it's been known in history that mediators have been appointed by certain parties and instead of trying to bring them together they enjoyed the quarrel they encouraged the quarrel and they, they enjoyed seeing them trying to fight each other but to be a true mediator a true daysman it must be one who desired earnestly desired the, the happy settlement of the whole case well where can we find one like Christ one like Christ the daysman the great mediator now we see that <clears throat> the day is coming when we're all going to be before the bar of God each one of us and what are we going to do on that day when the trumpet will sound and all the people ever born in this world every child of Adam will be gathered at the judgment seat those who feel that they're self-righteousness who don't need Christ oh they'll see the people who have been robed with the righteousness of Christ 
they'll be caught up at the right hand they'll be they'll have glory on that day and happiness eternal joy when that day comes but what about those who feel they are good enough to get to heaven what about those who feel that they have some merit or have washed their hands in snow water they have done things to catch God's eye what will you do when that day comes when the judge calls you to come out and stand before him when he says come out show yourself bring your righteousness bring what you have before me and there we're going to stand before the, 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 the glistening purity of God's holiness we're, we're going to stand before it the, the unsullied purity and whiteness of God's holiness where will our righteousness be then how good for those who have the righteousness of Christ who are clothed with his righteousness he is their daysman he has answered on their behalf well my friends here tonight that day will come and many people who thought they were righteous when they come to meet the, the, the judge they're going to call on the mountains to fall on them they'd rather be covered they're going to call the mountains to open and swallow them anything rather than meet him anything rather than meet their God but we're all going to meet him we're going to meet our God but how good if we have a daysman how good for us if we have a savior tonight how good for us if we have a mediator who's in heaven and who's making intercession for all his people well tonight once again he's inviting you in the gospel and he's telling you to come that now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation he doesn't promise you tomorrow he promises you now if you come but if we don't come well we'll go into eternity and we'll have no mediator no daysman and there we'll find that we've been defiled filthy indeed in the sight of God may God grant that each one of us will have this daysman for ourselves let us pray ever gracious one we pray that thou come in thy grace and thy mercy that thou forgive our sins and that thou bless each soul present here tonight we are needy creatures and we need thy spirit that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to our own need and open our eyes that we may behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world be with us then we pray thee and pardon our sins and forgive anything that was said or done which was contrary to thy word or to thy will and all we ask is for Christ's sake Amen We may sing to God's praise in Psalm 108. Psalm 108. And from verse 9. Psalm 108 and from verse 9 to the end of the psalm. Moab's my washing pot, my shoe, I'll overthrow 
Edom throw. Over the land of Palestine I will in triumph go. Oh, who is he will bring me to the city fortified? Oh, who is he that to the land of Edom will me guide? O oh God, thou who hadst cast us off, this thing wilt thou not do, and wilt not thou, even thou, O God, forth with our armies go? Do thou from trouble give us help, for helpless is man's aid. Through God we shall do valiantly, our foes he shall down tread. These four stanzas, from verse 9 to the end of the psalm, Psalm 108, Moab's my washing pot, my shoe over I'll over Edom throw. Moab's my washing pot, my shoe. Oh. 